0: back in 1 John this morning, uh, book of 1 John. We wrapped up the first chapter last week, which is only 10 verses long. Uh, we wrapped that up in a couple of weeks, but we'll start in chapter 2 this morning, which is uh, almost three times as long as the first chapter is. There's 29 verses. I certainly don't intend to make it through all 29 verses this morning. I've I've got in my head how far I would like to get. I can't promise that we'll get that far. Uh, But last week when we wrapped up uh, the first chapter of 1 John, the last two verses of it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say then that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We need to keep those two verses in, in mind as we... Slide on into the second chapter of First John here. Uh, so we'll begin chapter two of First John, the first verse. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. We'll stop right there for a second. This is I mean, if this verse didn't continue, this would be an awful verse. I write these things unto you that you sin not. Uh, what things? Well, the things before that he had written and the things that are upcoming that he's about to write. He's writing these things to us that we sin not. That's a, and that's a condemning line. It really is. Because, my goodness, we, we read that and, and we think, well, I'm not supposed to sin. And folks, we're, we're, not, we're not supposed to sin. We weren't, we weren't created to sin. Uh, God didn't create us just so we could uh, live here in the world and live as we want and do as we want and act as we want and say as we want. We weren't created to sin. But this, or this chapter begins. He says, I write unto you that you sin not. And if this verse didn't continue, it would, uh, it would condemn us even more. But thank God it does. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous. So, we have this first part of the verse. He writes these things unto us that that we sin not. He says, but if any man does sin, and we will sin, saved, lost alike, we will sin in in our lives, in our actions, our speech, and everything else uh, about us. We will sin. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Notice that he, say, he refers to Jesus Christ as the righteous. I don't believe that John just threw that in there trying to take up space on a parchment when he was writing this. He's saying we have an advocate with the Father. We have a mediator. We have someone at the Father's right hand according to the scriptures that is, that is pleading, pleading our case. Folks, our, our case was really pled on Calvary. It was pled there on the cross. But Jesus Christ lives now. You read in Romans 5 that if we were reconciled to the Father through his death, how much more, how much more uh, can we be reconciled by his life? And that's present tense there, meaning his life now, the life that he currently has. What life does Jesus Christ currently have? Sitting at the right hand, being my advocate and being your advocate, arguing our case, or not arguing our case, but pleading our case before God. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. John says, I write these things to you that you sin not. In other words, I'm writing this to you as a guide. That's something that you're to go by but if you do sin we have an advocate with the father and he refers to that advocate as Jesus Christ the righteous notice he doesn't say uh, he doesn't say anything about us being righteous it is Jesus Christ that is righteous when god yeah. without jesus christ when God looks, uh, looks down on me, if I didn't have Jesus, he'd see nothing but filth, he'd see sin, he'd see wickedness, he would see evil, he would, he'd see all of these things that we see in the scripture. Right. But when I got saved, the righteousness of Jesus Christ was, was imputed unto me. Amen. And so when God the Father looks down on me, Jesus Christ, my advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, his righteousness is all that God sees on me. And I praise God for like I said, this first verse, the very, the very beginning line of it, it's very condemning. But praise God, it don't end with that line. He says, that he Amen. writes to us that we sin not. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate Je- uh, with the Lord and Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world he is the propitiation for our sins just on a side note uh, this isn't a word uh, this word propitiation is not a word that is uh, exclusive to the scriptures and a lot of people think that it is this is actually a word that was commonly used in the greek worship of their false deities their propitiations though was uh, to appease god or their gods they would go to the altars of their gods. They would go uh, uh, to the temples of their gods. If they thought that their gods were upset with them, they would take a propitiation uh, to their god, basically bribing their god to work in their favor is how it worked with them. But, uh, uh, and you've got to consider here, John's time the, time, the time that he was writing this in, uh, the, the culture was uh, heavily influenced by Greek culture. And so he says that uh, he is uh, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world and there's a, a particular group of people that don't particularly like this verse of Scripture because it's hard to it's hard to work around But folks. The Bible plainly states that Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ died, he died for the sins of the entire world. He didn't die for just a few. He didn't die for a couple of hundred or a couple of hundred thousand or a couple of million. That sacrifice was made once and for all, for every living human being, everyone that would... Uh, that would believe and everyone that would not believe on jesus christ he died for the sins of the entire world he is the propitiation for our sins he's the offering he's the gift he is the gift from god god gave himself as a gift in jesus christ for the remission for the blotting out and for the washing away of our sins jesus christ the righteous is our is the propitiation for our sins but not for ours only So don't, and I think John might have added this in here so we didn't get too high-minded in our salvation. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. I believe it was Spurgeon that said that it's a patent fact that Jesus Christ died for the entire world so that none of us could say, well, he died for Peter and he died for Paul, but he did not die for me. Folks, that is not the case. Jesus Christ died for the the worst people. He died for those that are at the bottom of the barrel. He died for the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the alcoholics just as much as he died for those that, uh, that have told a few little white lies and they're alive. He died for all because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That sacrifice was made once, it was made for all, and it was made for the entire world. Everyone that has lived is living and will live in the future. He is the propitiation for our sins. And hereby we do know that we, that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are know we that we are in him. Back up to uh, to verse three, and hereby do we know that we love him that we love. Hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. This is very reminiscent. Of what John would have heard Jesus Christ say himself back in John chapter 13 when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. In other words, you're going to do, as I say, you're going to be obedient if you love me. He that, uh, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. How many of us keep the word of God perfectly? None of us. That's why I'm so tickled that verse 1 states what it does that he writes these things to us that we sin not but if any man does sin we have an advocate in Jesus Christ the righteous none of us are going to keep the word perfectly none of us are going to keep the law of God perfectly it is an impossibility for a human being that is alive right now or that has ever lived to perfectly keep the law of God that's the entire reason that Jesus Christ had to come is because we were incapable of satisfying God uh, God we were incapable of keeping his laws that he laid down for us the moral laws that were given up on Mount Sinai not to mention all the other things that uh, God spoke of in the Old Testament uh, we were incapable of doing these things so if any man sin we do have an advocate in Jesus Christ the righteous it says but whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected now folks this word perfected here simply means mature. It doesn't mean that it's it's made perfect in us uh, just yet. It certainly doesn't mean that we are made perfect because we do still sin. Uh, even even born again, Christ, even as born again Christians, we do still sin. So, uh, but it's talking about the mature, uh, uh, a mature uh, uh, way here. The, the love of God has been matured in one that keeps the word of God. And I thank God for that. The longer we walk with God, the, the more closely we walk with God, then the more so we should be doing our best to keep his commandments. New, brand new born again Christians, I don't know what your all's experience was, but I know what mine was when I got saved. All I knew was that I was a sinner and that something changed in me. God changed my heart. God cleaned up my heart. And the very next thing he cleaned up on me was my mouth. And, the, and, and so on down the line, uh, uh, you know, and, and every one of us probably had a similar experience to, uh, as far as that goes. But Great I certainly God. had not matured in the love of God, and I hadn't matured in his word at that point. These things come with time, uh, and, and ma- I mean, maturity comes with time. Us, the getting older, that comes with time. I mean, nobody is born and is 20 years older the day, the day after. You know, it takes time to mature like that. It's like my boys when they were growing up. I tried to tell them, and you all probably tried to tell your children, uh, raising them if you have children. You know, I told them, everything I tell you is from experience. And that experience comes from maturing through life. And, you know, our experience, we hope, will help others along the way. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my boys call me and they say, you were right, but I had to find out for myself. Uh, But uh, either way, this word perfected here in verse 5 is not talking about uh, 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 us us being perfected uh, when we get saved. folks. We're not perfected. We're promised perfection in the future. We're promised perfection in the resurrection of our bodies. But while we're still living in these bodies that we were born with, these bodies that are uh, uh, cursed, uh, uh, cursed and they're sinful and they're wicked and they're fleshly, and they're carnal. Uh, everything about uh, our flesh is, is, is wicked and sinful. As long as we're still in this flesh, I promise you, we will still sin. Whether we believe it or not, uh, whether we like it or not, this is what the scripture teaches. But thank God again for verse 1, that we have an advocate with the Father. If any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Verse 6, He that saith he about in it, He abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. I have heard this verse myself, taken way out of context, and say, well, it says that we should walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Well, Jesus walked on the water. I've heard people say this, and I've seen people attempt it in videos. Maybe you have, too, if you pull them up on YouTube, if you have access to that. Uh, but I've seen this very verse taken way out of context, folks. This is not uh, what John is saying uh, at all. It says, he, he that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. How did Jesus walk? Jesus walked upright. Jesus walked righteously. Amen. Jesus walked holy. Jesus walked right. in obedience to the Father. This is what in the context that we're reading it, this is what John was referring to. He's not talking about we need to walk with the with the uh, same foot angle or the uh, our own water or anything like that you know he's talking about how jesus walked he walked in close relation to the father and the more mature we get in this thing the more perfect as the scripture here uh, 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 puts it the more perfect that we grow in this thing or mature the more closely we should walk with the father the more closely uh, we should walk with him the more obedient we should become uh, folks, when you, when you read in the scriptures about the wrath of God and the fury of God and the indignation of God, when you read these things in the scripture, it should cause us as born-again believers to walk that much more closely with God because that shows his power. And it shows, uh, shows how mighty he is. And it shows what uh, what he's capable of. We, and I'm not saying that that should scare us into the arms of God, folks. I'm saved already. I'm just saying that that these things show the power and, and the holiness and the righteousness of God. And when we read these things and we hear about these things preached and taught, it should, it should cause us to walk the more closely with the God who saved us. Amen. Uh, He that saith, He abideth in Him, himself also so to walk, uh, even as He will. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in Him and in you, because darkness is past, and the true light uh, now shineth. He that saith, He is in the light, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And we'll back back up again to uh, verse seven. Brethren, or I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Now, which, uh, which beginning are we talking about here? Uh, what commandment are we talking about here? And there's some debate in the theological world as far as this goes. Uh, you can actually go all the way back to the law. You can, all, you can go all the way back to Exodus 20, if you want to see, uh, uh, if you want to see uh, the love of God in the Ten Commandments, and, and, and uh, not only the love of God toward us. Uh, in that, uh, God was perfectly capable of keeping those Ten Commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments uh, to his people, uh, the Jews there at the bottom of Mount Sinai, yes, but they they showed us just how incapable we were of keeping those laws because everybody there at the base of that mountain, when they heard those commandments, should have shook in fear because everyone there had broken at least one of those commandments. However, on the flip side of that, God was was and is completely capable of keeping all of those commandments, and that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the love of God is demonstrated through the Ten Commandments. But when you look at those commandments, the first four of them uh, show how we are to act toward God, how we are to love uh, God, and the the, the latter uh, part of those commandments show how we are to love our neighbors. We're, uh, and how we're to treat our neighbors. We, ourselves, are nowhere in there except on how we are to treat others and to treat god and to love others and to love god so we can go back that far yes but what is john uh here referring to i believe he's talking about the same word that he was at the beginning of chapter one of this letter that he's writing here the same word which is the word become flesh that dwelt among us in chapter one of the gospel of john the word being jesus christ uh, this was a new commandment that Jesus Christ himself spoke, and he phrased it just like this. He said, I'm, uh, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. And, and by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. How? By what? That you love one another. That you love one another, folks. This was this would have been a foreign notion to the the mainly Jewish audience that Jesus had, the mainly Jewish audience that John was likely writing to here. It was it was a, a, an outside notion to them of love because all they had was the Old Testament, and they saw over and over the wrath of God and the fury of God, and and all these other things that we uh, read about. Now, all of a sudden, uh, John, being the, uh, as he's referred to, not in the scriptures, but as he's referred to commonly, the apostle of love, the one that wrote the gospel of love, uh, suddenly this this God that these Jews worshipped, and these uh, uh, Jews uh, believed in for the most part, this God is all of a sudden all about love. And this would have been a foreign notion, to them. But he says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you heard from the beginning. From the beginning of what? I Me mean, personally, I believe that John was talking about from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, from the beginning of, uh, of uh, the preaching of the gospel when Jesus Christ come out uh, of the wilderness saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preaching the same thing. Uh, 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 gospel of repentance. Uh, because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. What is the true light? The true light is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the true light. And he, he was the word of God, become flesh, and dwelt among men. He is the true light that's shined in the darkness. We uh, talked about it either last week or the week before in the first chapter of First John. How uh, uh, when, when the Jews, uh, when they saw, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, I mean, it was dark and he come down in a storm and a tempest, uh, God did. And, and uh, you know, the scriptures, it talks about how God, he dwells in the darkness. And uh, so now Jesus Christ has shown and revealed God unto these people. He has done this through his ministry. He's done this through his teaching and through his preaching. He's done it in his his very walk and his way of life. He has revealed God unto these people. So God is no longer in darkness to the Jews and certainly not to the Gentiles either, but he is shown in full light uh, and he is shown fully in Jesus Christ, whom John said, I've heard him, I've walked with him, my hands have handled Handled him and, and these other things that we read about in the first chapter of First John he says this is the true light the darkness is past and the true light now shineth he he that saith he is in light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now folks that's I mean that's just plain cut and dry that's plain black and white we cannot claim Christianity and hate our brother it's an impossibility. We can't claim Jesus Christ and hate our brother. Now listen, John here is being very specific in his wording. And I don't think it was an accident that he was doing so. Uh, And I'm not saying that we're to hate the world. Love thy neighbor as thyself applies just as much now as it did in Exodus 20. And it applies just as much now as it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus said that that was the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but John here is referring specifically to brethren, and I do not believe it was an accident. Uh, this is one of the reasons church splits are so hurtful, because there's, uh, you know, there's seemingly hatred that's involved when these things happen, whether it splits two ways or three ways or five ways. There, there's a hatred that's bowled up there, uh, one, one toward another, or one group toward another group, or whatever the case is. John specifically, uh, referring to the brother here, says, He that saith he is in light, and hateth his brother is in darkness, even until now. In other words, you never had it to begin with, is jo- what John's saying. If you hate your brother, you have never dwelt in the light. It's an impossibility, is what John is saying here in this verse. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Praise God for that. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. That word abideth is present perfect tense in the original scriptures, and it's a perfect tense in our English uh, Bibles here, uh, meaning that, that you continually abide in the light. Meaning that you're continuing to do that. He that loved his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Why is that? Well, he that abides in darkness... If you're in darkness, you don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what's beside you. You don't know what's behind you. You're going to be stumbling all around. I've preached it several times or mentioned it while preaching. uh, 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 I believe it's in Proverbs. uh, Solomon wrote that uh, that, that those that dwell in darkness or those that walk in darkness knoweth not what they stumble. And they can stumble right over the gospel and not even realize that they've done so. Why? Because they're in such darkness. They're blinded so bad. Uh, but here John says in 1 John chapter 2, he says, He that abideth in light, uh, uh, or he that loves his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. If, if we're continually abiding in the light, folks, there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to get in our way that we are not aware of. There's no occasion of stumbling in us as long as we're abiding in the light. And what is that light? The light is the gospel, and the light is Jesus Christ, who is the gospel uh, uh, of God. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. and This just kind of reiterates what I just said. If he hates his brother, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness, it's present tense, and walketh in darkness, uh, continues in pre- present tense, and knoweth not whither he goeth, continues in present tense with that, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So he gives three what's there. He gives three what's. He that hateth his brother walks in darkness, uh, uh, or it is in darkness and walks in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth. That's the three what's. Then he gives the why. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Because the very thing that he is dwelling in, the very thing that that he is uh, that he is uh, abiding in, that's what's blinded his eyes. And folks, we know from First John, First uh, John chapter one, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So if we're abiding in God we're abiding in him and there is no darkness in him then we have no occasion of stumbling in us however if we're stumbling around and we're hating our brother if we're if we're upset at churches if we if we look at a church and we want it to fail if we have any of these things in our hearts folks I don't think the love of God's in them folks it can't be according to what I'm reading here It's an impossibility for that to happen. We cannot look at a church, now. I'm not talking about some heretical church that's out there teaching false doctrine. I'm talking about a church that's led by a godly man and has godly people on the inside of it. And somebody got mad because somebody didn't use their colored uh, uh, toothpicks at the church picnic or they had to bring home a slice of pie. Nobody ate all their pie at the church picnic or silly stuff like this. And somebody got all puffed up and mad and proud and said, I'm just going to go find another church. And they want that church to fail at that point. They said, I hope their attendance gets so low they have to shut the doors. And I've heard people say those very things. And it makes me wonder if they ever really had it or not. If they hate their brother so bad, and if they hate, a, a point of congregating so bad uh, that they wanted to fail and want to shut their, shut their doors and disperse those people. Did they ever really have the love of God in them? Me personally, from what I'm reading here in this scripture, they were abiding in darkness the whole time they were in that church. And they're still abiding in darkness, sure. according to what I read here in the scripture. Now, I understand God is the ultimate judge of that. But. If, if what John is saying here is true and I'm, and I'm interpreting it correctly, they never had it to begin with. They were not walking in light. They were not walking with God. They were not loving their brother. And they certainly weren't loving their neighbors and having an attitude like that. Uh, verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, folks, we've already read in verse 1 of chapter 2, he writes these things unto us that we sin not. So now we're reading. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Folks, we have sinned. Before we were born again, we had sin then. After, since we've been born again, since we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, since we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've had more sin since that's happened. John says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. You remember that, children of God. Remember that. Your sins aren't forgiven you because you were good. Your sins aren't forgiven you because God thought that you deserved it. Your sins aren't forgiven you because you begged and because you pleaded and because you done anything. Your sins are forgiven for the name's sake of Jesus Christ. And Paul reiterates this in the book of Ephesians when he says forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It ain't got anything to do with you. It ain't got anything to do with your goodness. You're forgiven of your sins because God is good. Not because you are. I'm forgiven of my sins because God is good. Not because I'm good. Because I can assure you I wasn't good before I was saved and I ain't a whole lot better now that I am saved. And none of us are. We're all still filthy, wretched sinners that are in need of a Savior. And, folks, I have that Savior in Jesus Christ, and he is my advocate with the Father, and I praise God for it. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. John here goes through a little list of people he says i write unto your fathers because you have known him what do you think of when you think of uh of, of fathers uh, uh here especially in this context here that john is writing in uh, writing to he says i've uh I write unto you father because you have known him that is from the beginning he so says, you've known him that is from the, you've known the eternal one. You've known the ancient of days. You've known the one that gave Moses the law. You've known the one that Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 talks about the creation of the world. You've known the one that spoke the entire universe into existence. And he's talking to the fathers here. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the ones that have got some experience with God under their belts. And then he goes on and says, I, uh, says I've written I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one says the fathers have known him from the beginning the young men he says you have overcome the wicked one you've overcome the adversary you've overcome satan but folks we need to remember that it is not in our own strength and it is not our own doing that we can overcome satan it is through the doing of jesus christ he is the one that defeated satan he's the one that defeated death and hell and the grave he is the one that done it and but uh, john here is writing he says i've written to you fathers because you have known him. I'm writing to you young men because you have defeated uh, uh, the, the wicked one. And I'm writing to you little children because you have known the father. He's going through a list of different stages through life. I'm talking about physically here. Uh, he refers to the little children. At the end of it, when we're little children, we're dependent. We're uh, And we have to be dependent. We depend on our fathers. We depend on our mothers or whomever it is that's raising us. We depend on them for clothing, for food, for shelter, for, shelter, for guidance, we depend on them for protection. We depend on them for everything. The young men, he's talking about here. Who do we send to fight on the front lines? He says, "You've defeated the wicked one." We don't send little children to fight on front lines, and we don't send the old men to fight on the front lines. We send the young men to do these things. I'm talking about physical battles here. I'm talking about war uh, and, and fighting that goes on. Even nowadays, folks. I mean, we we don't send we don't send the, the older people in our military into battle. We send the young young men and the young women who are more capable of overtaking the wicked one, of overtaking the foes and folks, the church should be built in the same way. The, the elder people can give advice to the younger people of how they overcame the wicked one and the, and the, the little children uh, that John is writing to here. They can see what the young men are doing. They can see what the young women are doing. They can see the fights that they're having with the wicked one and with the adversary and they can can, uh, and they can witness these things and then but the older folks, the fathers here that John's referring to, they can be a witness to the goodness of God. They can be a, a witness to the mercy and to the guidance of God to those younger folks that are out there fighting uh, on the front lines. And then the younger folks are watching those uh, or the little children are watching the younger folks in this uh, seemingly eternal fight between good and evil that's going on in the world. But praise God it won't be eternal. Hey, one day God's going to put an end to it. One of these days God's going to snuff out this five. One more verse here and we'll wrap it up. I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. He just reiterates two of the three classes of people if you want to call it that two of the three uh, 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 casts of people that he wrote about there I've written to your fathers because you've known him that is from the beginning he says I've written to you young men because you're strong you're strong And, and the word of God abideth in you folks that's why they're strong because the word of God abides in them why do we have such weak Christians A lot of people blame it on prayer a lot of people are the lack thereof i should say yeah that's a playing factor but a christian that doesn't know the word of god a christian that doesn't read the word of god a christian that you know they just they hear what they hear on sunday morning maybe sunday evening or midweek and that's all they get that makes a weak christian that'll make a weaker christian than a weak prayer life will if you don't know the word of god I promise you, the more you have your nose in this book, and the closer you're getting to God through his word, the more of a prayer life you will have. Why? Because you're reading about the God that saved your soul. You're reading about the God that left this book, left this instruction manual for you, and that will cause you to go to him in prayer. And sometimes your prayer may not be anything but praise to God. Prayer doesn't necessarily mean we have to ask something of the Father. Anytime we go to God, it's considered prayer, whether it's in praise or whether it's making supplications uh, to him uh, or asking things of him. But anytime we go to God, it uh, it is through prayer that we do so. Jesus Christ is our intercessor, and he's the only mediator that's between God and man, and he is the one that takes our prayers to God. I understand Romans 8 and I understand if the Holy Spirit uh, has his part in that as well and I praise God that the Holy Spirit can understand moanings and groanings that even I can't understand. He can take those things unto God. But ultimately it's Jesus Christ who makes those things known unto God the Father. Because without Jesus Christ, God the Father wouldn't hear you and he wouldn't hear me and he would have nothing to do with us and we'd still be left here in our sin. Anyway, I got as far as I wanted to get.